Welcome to Actually Best Choice Movies, the world's only movie podcast. Happy New Year, by the way. Also, I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Chafin. And I am Happy New Year. Uh, Caleb Shively, the other host. Yes, it's fantastic. Caleb, it's 2022. <laughs> Didn't we start this podcast in like 2008? Is that is that true? Uh, two, uh, 1998, I yeah, think, Yeah, 1998. Actually. Yeah, it's been a and hell of had, a run, brother. We did one episode a year. And then we said, and then, uh, yeah. recently, then we had a lot of free time and we started really producing episodes. Um, yeah. Every episode on actually best choice movies, we tell you about two movies. One of them is old. One of them is new. Uh, and let's bring it back to the beginning, Caleb. They're both in the genre of good. They're both good They're movies. Both- they're both good movies. Uh, yeah, yeah, good is a subjective thing, uh, meaning that, like, of course, most movies are good. But, you know, we try to, like, skim the top of that. <laughs> we're skimming the top of it. And this week, I would say we're skimming the very tippy top with two uh, very good, good movies. Um, they are 2021's The Lost Daughter, directed by Maggie Jonthal, which is relevant because our other movie is 1955's The Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton. So our connecting tissue is what, Caleb? Uh, these are both famous actors, and this is both their uh, film debuts. And also, I'd, uh, I'd like to me- we'd like we'd like to mention uh, they're both actors who don't appear in their own films, which is uh, a great thing as well. Very uh, rare, wonderful all around. Very yeah. specific and very rare. And I love this connection. We did again have one of those episodes where we were debating a bunch of different movies to do, but I think we landed in a great place, Caleb. This is a really mm-hmm. weird idea, and I love it. I love it. Yeah, when we were going through it, uh, and then we landed on like, well, uh, let's look at some actors to do it, to do it, and you just said uh, Night of the Hunter, and I was like, I actually just watched Night of the Hunter. Let's do that. And it was serendipity, beautifully working yeah, out. Yeah, so that's all this week on actually best choice movies. Movies. <laughs> But before we get to any of that, Caleb, so like I said, we're talking about this amazingly specific thing, which is debut movies by actor directors and and even the subgenre being ones who don't appear in their own movie, which is its own definite genre of actor director movies. Yeah, for real. Uh, I mean, you think of like actor directors, uh, your Woody Allen always putting himself sure. in the movie. Uh, even uh, when I was looking at or thinking of uh, people uh, I went to Danny DeVito because I like all his movies like no he always appears and even as like a smaller role he always like pops up in his movies uh, but he's a very good director anyway but yeah, there's so many and uh, there's uh, they're fun and uh, I mean as an actor who uh, a veteran actor who gets to be on set the whole time of course they have that creative edge of just like let me do it too and just and ideas cool. like you just got to imagine that you're sitting yeah. on set for for both of these people for Charles Lawton more than Maggie Gyllenhaal decades and decades of film acting you spend oh, so sure, much yeah. time on a film set and you're mm-hmm. just like oh man if i were if i was fucking doing this this is what i would do and it's just so great to see the, the a lot of those ideas you know come out like in a rush in the first mm-hmm. and especially when they are not in the movie because that's mm-hmm. kind of like i don't know i mean there's nothing wrong with it and it's certainly fun when a, an actor isn't the director of a movie but like there's something it's a i feel like it's a different kind of thing when it, they're not because they're really just like they're being directors they had ideas and even both of these movies don't even have a character who is really like a surrogate for the director i mean i guess maybe olivia coleman in um the lost daughter but not yeah, really yeah. i mean it's like a based off a novel but still kind of yeah as a, she's a mother too she probably had some probably in all, a lot of the women characters she probably put some of herself in well that's true too. that's very true Caleb, <laughs> i'm sure but we were gonna we it's, we have some other examples of this is this right caleb Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a very specific thing. Uh, there is some great movies out there. I'm a big fan of uh, Lucky from John Carroll Lynch, which uh, John Carroll Lynch, you know, from Fargo. He was Drew Carey's brother in Drew Carey Show. Tons of other stuff. Coen Brothers movies pops up a lot in. But he directed Lucky, which was famous for being Harry Dean Stanton's final movie. Uh, he was like in his late 80s. But it's just uh, he's a, a weird atheist guy. Uh and uh, he's, uh, I think, a big was a big pothead throughout his life. He just comes to term with his morality, and it's like very shoegazy. But also, uh, David Lynch gets to act in it. Ed Begley Jr. pops up in it. It's a very 
weird movie. Uh, John Carroll Lynch uh, was in Zodiac 2 as a fucking murderer. Uh, he's a cool actor that like brought us something weird. Like, oh, cool. I know you from being weird in this. Let's see what you're directing. He gave us something weird. Drew Barrymore's Whip It. Uh, she didn't appear in that. Uh, it's not a bad movie. I always I, forget yeah. that she directs it's it. It's pretty yeah. good. I mean, it's very specific <laughs> to its time period, right? It's oh, like... for sure, yeah. I, I kind of wish he would direct something else because he probably has a way with just a fun set or that was like oh kind God, of I'm reflected sure, in the movie. Right? I'm sure it was an extremely fun set. <laughs> she might direct her show Drew Barrymore, uh, the talk show. I don't know. She probably doesn't actually. That's a hard <laughs> job. She's, but then she's definitely appearing on that. Um, I'm looking at this list of directorial debuts and they almost all are people who are in the movie. Even somebody like uh, Tom Hanks, who directed that thing you do, a movie I've seen 10,000 yeah. 10, times on Comedy Central. Great movie, yeah. He does appear in the movie. He's not like a hugely mm -hmm. important character, but he is in it, you know. You should tell the people what uh, list you're looking at so they can. Oh, yeah. Do, so do this is like, I'm looking at this. Like I was saying, we're doing this incredibly esoteric specific thing. So um, I was Googling, trying to get ideas, and I found this list on Vulture that is the 18 best directorial debuts from actors, which is like completely fucking insane that there's a list of, of that particular thing. But I was saying to Caleb, <laughs> I think it's because it's when it came out when. Um, uh, a Star Is Born is real was really popular, so it's like kind of peg kind of pegged to that, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of these, right? Okay, we've got that thing you do. We're talking about In a World, directed by Lake Bell. She stars in that very much, so. But yeah, yeah. Uh, well, none of these basically. So we're the very specific category we're talking about. I feel like there aren't enough examples. <laughs> none of these examples uh, have are those. I think there is one on there, and I think he's uh, there's two great examples currently working today. Uh, Jordan Peele's Get Out is on Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yes, 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 yes. That's yeah, true. great. Uh, what a, wow, what a fully realized thing, and uh, and a movie uh, he could have easily been in, but he chose not to be in it, which is very interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, he, I mean, he cast Daniel Kaluuya. Actually, about to actually work with Daniel Kaluuya again for his next film. Nope. Uh, and yeah, like Keith's great in it, but yeah, could have put himself in there. Uh, yeah, uh, I did have him down. Uh, he's one of the greats. Uh, I think I think there's two. He's the startling example, Oscar winner. Uh, the other uh, Oscar-nominated person, uh, director, I don't think she's nominated for a director, but Greta Gerwig has two oh, yeah, amazing true. debut films under her belt. Actually, she has a, a co-directing Mumblecore film, uh, but I don't know if we fully count that as a debut. But still, it's she has two movies that she hasn't starred in. It maybe has a better career going forward as a director than an actress. Nothing against her actress. She's a very fun actress. Uh, we love Frances Ha, uh, but those two movies, the last two movies she's in, and she's directing a Barbie movie, I believe. This is I, that's so crazy. I do love the way that the two of them do do stuff like that. Like they mm -hmm. will definitely take money and do something crazy like that, uh, which I think <laughs> is great. You know, and you know what? Like as somebody who I, I, I have, I am blessed to say I have not had to start consuming Barbie content yet. But like as somebody who like theoretically I might have to consume Barbie content, like sure. I would love it if Greta Gerwig was writing and directing it. That seems great. Why not? You know, I do like Jack Nicholson's first movie he directed. It's called Drive. He said uh, I randomly got it on uh, Netflix DVD a while back ago because I was going through a big Bruce Dern phase and Bruce Dern plays this uh, basketball coach and. I think they're in no, they're in college, but like everyone's, it's like college kids being like having sex and doing drugs, and they're good at basketball. Uh, and uh, Jack Nicholson wrote and directed this film. Uh, I'm trying to think what year it was. I think it was in the might have been '71. Very, very like when he was in his hippie stage, not well established as being Jack Nicholson yet. Um, but yeah, uh, he got to do some art. He, he, I think he had a couple other weird films after that. Uh, before he's like, you know what, I'm Jack Nicholson. Let me just. Do this the whole time. Oh my god! Very yeah, great, Caleb. What an amazing impression. <laughs> I love to. Hear um, it. I know a film you saw that uh, we both really like, uh, Wildlife from Paul Dano. That was a, 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 a very assured, confident uh, movie that he did not appear in himself. And <laughs> I think even um, yeah, and it is interesting. I mean, it is. It, I always thought that movie was a little film schooly, but um, for sure, yeah, I do think it's. I mean, and it's. And then if you think about it too much, you get mad because you're like, why does Paul Dana get to go to film school and like <laughs> the movie gets nationally distributed by somebody? Like that's not really fair. Um, but it is like a, it's it's totally an interesting, well done film. But you know, it's mm -hmm. fine. I totally think it's fine. I was going to say another one, which is uh, the Indian Runner. I don't think Sean Penn is in that movie, right? 
No, I don't believe he has. He has a couple uh, self-important movies we, under we his did, We did that movie on my podcast with Ricky, and Ricky really, really liked that movie. I thought it was fine. I liked it okay. I haven't seen it in so long, and maybe I saw it before. I mean, the craziest thing is Viggo Mortensen is the star of the movie, basically. Oh, really? Yeah, and he is a very, very young Viggo Mortensen, and he has this extremely, like, chaotic, violent, sexual energy, and it's really cool, you know? That's, oh, that's, that's cool. Funny. I do like Vigo. Uh, I do know, uh, maybe he he does nail a vibe in his movies. I'm trying to think uh, uh, Into the Wild is uh, a movie directed The Last Face, which I didn't mind. I think, unfortunately, uh, most recent movie. as much as I would love to hate Sean Penn because he seems like an awful, self-serious dick, yeah. he does actually make some good stuff, like up to and including Licorice Pizza. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's not. Uh, he didn't uh, make speak- that up, but he, like he is good in that movie. You cannot say he is not good in that movie. Speaking of Jack Nicholson, uh, the Pledge is a pretty decent movie. From uh, he's he's directed that. I don't think I don't believe he's in that. Uh, Robin Wright Penn is it, but that's another Jack Nicholson movie that he started. The pledge isn't he the uh, star of the Pledge? I think he is. It's, well, Jack Nicholson's the star of the Pledge. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think who the other like big guy in that is. It's someone very much a very 2001 actor. Is it Dave Bautista, you say big guy to me, and no, that's just the first thing. No, I sorry, think. no, no. 2001, big, like a very 2001 guy, and I looked it up. That person is Aaron Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> yeah, I always kind of felt bad for Aaron Eckhart because. Uh, oh, Benicio's in it too. Oh, Benicio's in it, yeah. He, Benicio, is in a lot of crazy shit, though. Benicio's awesome. Oh, uh, yeah, Benicio's awesome. Um,. Anyway, I don't know, Caleb. You want? Let's just talk about these fucking movies, huh? Oh, I do have uh, one. Uh, well, I'll I'll say uh, two because one's on Netflix right now, and I was going to suggest we do it. Uh, Passing from Rebecca Hall. Oh yeah. Uh, very very interesting movie. Uh, it's on Netflix. Go check it out. Uh, hey, an actress doing anything? Rebecca Hall, good actress. Uh, but uh, I would say my favorite, the one I was saving towards the end to bring up, is uh, uh, I wouldn't say, it's not his debut, so that's why I didn't bring it up earlier, but uh, the way he turned into a, a fucking great director, very fierce, independent vision director, Bobcat Goldway has turned into a fucking amazing actor, performer. His first movie is called Shakes the Clown. It's a cult movie for a reason. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's about an alcoholic clown. But then uh, over 10 years later, I think Sleeping Dogs Live was 2006, uh, he just turned in these very independent weird movies. Sleeping Dogs Lie is about okay. Here's the plot of Sleeping Dogs Lie. Uh, it's not graphic at all. <laughs> uh, a woman sucks a dog's dick and doesn't tell her husband, and then she does, and we get a whole movie out of that. Yeah, you might have Amazing. seen World's Greatest Amazing. Dad, which Amazing. is a, a, a great ro- late period Robin Williams movie, and uh, there's a movie called God Bless America, which is another crazy ass plot. Uh, they watch 16 and pregnant and go around killing people after b- being inspired of watching 16 and pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> he has a couple other movies under his belt. Uh, Willow Creek, which is about a Hollywood movie. But anyway, uh, it turned into like this very singular. And I've, he's, I've heard him say like, Oh, I've always been an anarchist. Like even in my performance, he, like, you know, Bobcat will lay through his voice yeah. uh, that he does. Um, he said he quit doing that voice because like, Oh, I realized through directing, like I actually found my real voice, oh. uh, which is kind of funny. Um, but like he like oh uh, I was always being a performance uh, like famously went on Jay Leno and set the chair on fire which is fucking awesome, but it was also like drawing attention to himself or drawing attention to the actual performance. But now that he can actually direct, he's like oh I could spread that across out more and have my idea come to life through other people uh, and kind of like a beautiful thing what directing is about too and uh, I love uh, Flipping Dogs Eye and World's Greatest Dad God Bless America very weird movies. Um, world's greatest dad is a, that's a pretty that's starring robin williams right yes yeah yeah i mean that one of his best friends yeah <laughs> it's a very interesting movie i think that's maybe around when i started to know that bobcat goldweight was doing interesting stuff but he definitely is yeah, one yeah. of those people now that's like you have to take him seriously because he is doing like i mean he's still to this day doing writing and directing interesting things right yeah 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 he just uh, i think he currently has uh, uh directed a documentary about uh him doing stand-up just to like to do stand-up <laughs> again well that's not uh, that that's, stage, that's, yeah. that's okay. it's that's not it but uh, i mean it, it's it's him and dana gold who uh dana gold showwriter for the simpsons sure. big in the alt famously comedy, wrote dr zayas dr zayas and is obsessed yes, with yeah. planet <laughs> of the apes you know imagine yeah, uh, me the, having just a weird dumb thing you liked from when you were a kid that you were obsessed with forever and then you got to <laughs> turn that into one of the most iconic simpsons things of all time you know good that's Lord. pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot of other directors. I, uh, I, I liked uh, Ben Stiller wasn't in C- Cable Guy too much outside of those weird cameos. 
Yeah. <laughs> that is true. But Mel he Gibson's is in apocalypse. it, though, for sure. Yeah. Don't want to give him any credit, but I liked Hacksaw Ridge from Mel Gibson, you know, stuff like well, that. Well, I mean, if you're just going to say, like, in general, are actors good directors? I mean, yeah, of course they are. You know, they're on the... Yeah. And, if, and, of course, if you're at a place in your career where you're getting to direct movies, like, there's a system that is there to support you. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then, then they could turn into, like, a, a, a an actual director, which is weird to say, like, Ron Howard and... Jodie Foster or like actual like they just yeah more direct well I tell you that. one of the cool things about Star Trek Caleb is that since the next generation the next generation Voyager and Deep Space Nine all did this thing where they like let the cast members start directing episodes oh nice and some of them they all got to direct some like even Patrick Stewart directed some and then um some of them became like pretty successful just regular TV directors like mm-hmm. um, Jonathan Frakes, who is the uh, plays Cap- I know John, yeah. yeah Commander Riker, the bearded one, the bearded one for visual right, exactly. He is a really really successful TV director. I mean, he directs a lot of the new Star Trek, like Discovery and Picard and stuff. But then he also just does like regular TV shows. And then actually, a woman from Voyager, Roxanne Dawson, um, she's a really successful TV director now. Like she just does like every single network show all the time. And like, but it all started because that was like an important thing on Star Trek was they wanted to give, oh, sure. they wanted to help like develop the cast's career, which is like pretty cool, mm-hmm. you know. I'm sure you know this, but I'll uh, love just saying this so our listeners can hear it. Uh, of course, Leonard Nimoy is one of those oh, of course, directed yeah. things. He directed Search for Spock uh, three. Uh, he directed three. anyway, yeah, several. Yeah, but Star he Trek also directed stuff. Three Men and a Baby. <laughs> I love that. I, that's one of my favorite Amazing. little like oh. Who directed, like, that was a dumb comedy that existed. The weirdest thing about Three Men and a Baby, too, when you look, go back, and I did, like, watch part of it again recently, is that the movie is actually, like, very serious and has to do with, like, these drug dealers and there's, like, machine gun fights <laughs> and, like, all this shit. And you're like, isn't this just, like, a dumb movie about a kid peeing in somebody's face? But, like... Isn't Steve Gutenberg Steve Gutenberg around yeah. and to be the third? Tom Selleck. Yeah. It's like, what a fucking relic. That's an amazing movie. Like, thank you so much for bringing that up. I might rewatch it. Yeah, I might rewatch it. Directed by Leonard Nimoy, an actor, which is what we're talking about. Yeah, so speaking of, do you want to talk about the first movie we're going to do this yes, week? Yes, 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 Okay, so this is 2021's The Lost Daughter, directed by Maggie Jolenthal. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. I saw you at the beach today. I didn't see you. I saw you. The Lost Daughter is a new film from actor and now director Maggie Gyllenhaal. It stars Olivia Coleman, Dakota Johnson, and it features a really remarkable performance from Jesse Buckley, who is she's an an actor you might recognize. It's a face you might recognize, but you weren't aren't sure from where. She's been in things like uh, Chernobyl, Fargo. I'm thinking of ending things and like several British TV shows. Beast. Amazing actress. Amazing actress. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of uh, Shakespearean stuff, I guess. She's done Shakespearean stuff. So it's The Lost Daughter. It's an adaptation of an uh, Elena Ferrante novel of the same name. And if, like me, you're somebody who hasn't read this book, but has read the Neapolitan trilogy, yeah, there's a lot of very familiar things between the two. Uh, projects there's like complicated class conscious relationships between women uh, a harrowing but weirdly loving depiction of motherhood and like extremely metaphorically significant dolls and like these are all ferrante like 100 percent. so it's really interesting to see and in a lot of ways i mean this is the ferrante adaptation we deserve like i only watched a little bit of the hbo version of uh, my brilliant friend but like I didn't, it just didn't, it wasn't capturing it the way that this movie captures it. It's very complicated and observational and emotional and and naturalistic and surprising in lots of ways. And I I really liked it. And of course, Olivia Coleman's amazing in it. Uh, Caleb, how did you feel about this movie? Uh, Yeah, so I'll just say a little bit that I saw it first at the New York Film Festival. Uh, So I got to see this on the big screen which is cool. It's currently available on Netflix, which is where I rewatched it because you could go watch it now. It's great. But, uh, you know, uh, I will quote the movie here and say, children are a crushing responsibility. <laughs> uh, this is, it's cold water on thoughts about parenthood. Well, for, I mean, uh, me we, can talk, and, uh, we can talk about this yeah, later, Caleb. So I don't want to like get too much into it. But, I mean, yeah, I'm it's happy weird... to talk. I would love to get yeah, into it, Caleb. I mean, we will talk about it, but... Uh, 
Yeah, it's like a weird vengeance as means of projection movie. Uh, Lita is the name of Olivia Coleman's character. Uh, we learn she has like some residual guilt over uh, her own decisions as a parent. And she basically sees a young mother struggling and simultaneously helps and makes life worse for her. Uh, and for reasons like she doesn't even understand too. So it's like this whole perspective a, psychological we're getting there's into. There's a climactic scene where... Um... You're the thing that she does that's bad has been found out and they're having a huge argument about it and someone says to her, why did you do this? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> Which is yeah. like amazing and so real, you know? Mm-hmm. And like as an audience member, you're you're struck to say, uh, like I guess I get why she does it. Uh, 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 parenting should be hard because it was hard for me or, or children treat you poorly because mine did is what she's saying. But like we... And that's what uh, this movie shows. It's a uh, scene after scene of unfolding of just information we're getting. And it just hits you after hits you after hits you. Like you're just learning more about this uh, woman. And it's awesome because uh, it's well-directed. It's well-acted. Uh, and there's just nothing getting but like little bits of payoffs, payoff over and over again. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's awesome. Um, like I said, her name is Lida. She's a bit prickly. It will lead up to like the actual things she does, what they build the film around. Uh, but like, there's like things in it that let, let you know she's prickly. Like in the flashback, she's like kind of mean to her kids. Uh, she do- like there's a scene uh, like she's passively going on, she's on vacation, and then someone asks her to move, and she doesn't move. Which absolutely uh, love it, Caleb. A hundred percent. Like I, I watched it with uh, my wife, uh, and I said, I keep when I was we were watching it, I, I looked at her, I said, I keep. I've never stopped thinking about this scene. <laughs> it's so interesting, Caleb. What a fantastic, and this is this is what's so great about Ferrante, is that she's got such an insight into these little emotional <laughs> moments and confrontations we have with, with people all the time that you don't often see depicted. And I went through something almost exactly like this fucking thing one time where I was at some fucking lake upstate and... And there was, uh, I, I expected to be there by myself, but when I got there, there was this huge family there. And I was like, had made this whole trip there. And I was like, well, I'll sit here anyway. And it was this little beach on this um, lake, you know, and they're all running around screaming, yelling at each other. And like, uh, at one point, I like, and I'm sitting away from them, like reading my book. And I like sneezed at one point. And they, like the one, one of them like stopped talking and like everybody stopped talking. And he turned around towards me and he went, bless you. <laughs> And I was like, oh. I was like, okay, sorry, sorry that I'm here, everybody. Like, Jesus Christ, damn, damn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One time, uh, like, I was at a, a I, I get to the movies early so I could sit at uh, my preferred dead center spot as much as I can. Uh, and then over the course of it getting filled up, there's like a gap where like no one's sitting next to me. Uh, and then someone came up to me and asked me to move. Like, they got here late. You got here later than me. I'm not. No. I was like, like fuck no. you. You know? Yeah. And this is. But yeah, those are little things. It's just like so that. Great. Because what's supposed to be happening that, yeah. is Olivia Coleman is supposed to be. She's alone. She's having this like very trying to have this very quiet Greek holiday where she's staying at this kind of like idyllic little guest house. And this is, by the way, another Ferrante thing is having an extended beach vacation. <laughs> this features in every <laughs> single one of the Neapolitan books. Um, apparently, she goes on vacation for like two months at a time. And you like live in some other place. Um, and you get tangled up in all the emotional lives of all the people and where you're vacationing. But like, it's like, um, and but then, so this is what she, her plan is. But then this very loud family who is, I think, supposed to be like lower class than her shows up. Yeah, they're from uh, uh, Queens or Queens, something. Right. Yeah, they're from, yeah. So it's like, uh, then there's this confrontation. You know, Olivia Coleman's very annoyed by these people, but then she comes to befriend one of them. There's like a several, you know, young families and all kinds of crazy shit. And it's this young mother played by uh, Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson. Yeah. yeah, who's, you know, looks very different in this movie. It doesn't really look like a Dakota Johnson. Like, obviously oh, yeah, yeah. has the crazy body that Dakota Johnson has. This, like, where all she does is exercise and drink water i don't know like but like you know other than that it doesn't really look like her um and she's giving a great uh, performance i thought yeah uh uh maybe i'll come back to it in a, se- a sec because uh, i think like it's a good performance for like what's actually written down for her to do uh and that's and then she brings it like to the level it needs to be <laughs> um but uh, yeah to, to, to get back to like uh her like Olivia Coleman being on vacation and like just facing this annoying family. She's just facing a bunch of indignities. This is what the most of the half first half of this movie is. Uh, like we learned she's a professor. She's brought a bunch of books with her. Uh, she's here to uh, like, she's Italian. 
she dedicated her life to like uh, Italian translations literature. Uh, now she's just looking for some alone time on holiday. I mean, you know, life happens and like uh, life can be like the other tourists, uh, an ornery Ed Harris pops up. Uh, and the movie is just like cutting back and forth between like these current irritations of being on holiday. Like there's a lighthouse that's always making noise. There's rotting fruit. There's a bug on her pillow at one point. Uh, there's kids at a movie being loud, which is my thing I get mad at. Oh but my um, God, yeah, it cuts back to that with like also – her being irritated as a young mother, which is the Jesse Buckley stuff. Uh, I love Jesse Buckley. Uh, first saw Jesse Buckley in Thinking of Ending Things and Fargo came out at the same time, and it just blew me away. And yeah, uh, I don't think I've watched uh, that season Beast. of Fargo. What what season of Fargo is that? Like? Uh, the most recent, most recent one. Okay. Yeah, with no, uh, Chris Rock. Yeah, she Chris, steals it. Oh, she steals that it. One. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I recommend the movie Beast and. Uh, uh, Wild Rose, where she's a country singer in Ireland, is that movie, and she fucking is so good. It's not a oh, uh, and Mary Seabridge wrote the song. So anyway, movie's way better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, anyway, uh, she cuts back to like her raising her. She's in her twenties, raising children, and it is fucking hard as hell. And we see how prickly of a woman she is. And also, I thought they did a good job of casting or like just having two similar people or two similar vibes going because I loved watching both of these uh, inform this uh, character. Uh, and it's two different actors playing uh, a character. Totally worked for me. Yeah, so we could get on to like the uh, the crux of uh, the movie here, which I think is a very interesting crux. Like we see her uh, like with her right. kids yeah. uh, and like how hard it was for her being a mom. And then we see uh, there's a scene where um, Dakota Johnson's daughter is lost and we need to uh, go find her. Olivia Coleman finds her daughter but there's a cut of like just the daughter's doll and then they can't find the doll. And this movie is centered around Olivia Coleman stealing a doll. Like that is like the tension. Yeah, that is the incident. Is that, that is the inciting incident. In this yeah. movie is Olivia Coleman stealing a doll and then doing and all kinds of it, unhinged shit. Yeah. Uh, she's doing other stuff and it's other like, uh, uh there's a, other pregnant, uh, uh, Dakota Johnson's, uh, mother, uh, sister-in-law, uh, is also pregnant and she, keep saying things like, well, when I have kids or like saying, and then that's just like irking her. There's a lot of like stuff, but it's still like centered and we never forget about this doll. And I think that's just outstanding directing or like, and writing on uh, the, the, the team's part of and just constantly having that hangover. <laughs> and there's lots of stuff where there's, because at a, at a certain point, another character, another character, I'll say an amazing performance from Ed Harris, which I didn't mention before. Mm -hmm. Crazy that Ed Harris in this movie, he's great. There's a scene where he's supposed to be dancing on like a little pier in a, at a sort of like um, nighttime, you know, community dance kind of thing. And he's wearing like gigantic a blazer and like a little weird shirt underneath it. That's like mostly unbuttoned and like a captain's hat. That's too big. And he's just kind of doing a little jig back and forth. I was like, this is fucking rules. I love this. I love seeing this part sign of side of Ed Harris. Yeah. I couldn't tell if she was like a little like flirty with him or sometimes annoyed that he was like kept bothering uh, yeah, her. And then sometimes both. she was like, so. I like that he yeah. was there. Yeah. She yeah, was yeah. Inter genuinely just... interested in him, but then also did genuinely find him annoying. But I was going to say there's mm -hmm. a there's a section where he obviously has see, it's built very the tension is great where it's like maybe he's going to see the doll and then it's like okay fuck he at this point he has seen the doll and then for the rest of the movie you're like did he tell anyone about the doll and it just puts you <laughs> so well in Olivia Coleman's point of view but you don't but the movie doesn't ever say anything or come down one way or another you know you just you just oh, have yeah. this kind of dread and suspicion all the time. Oh, it comes it comes crashing down towards the end too. It's she builds up that tension so well. It's uh, 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 as a director, it's just really really good. Really yeah, well the done. tensions build up in like just dealing with people and conversations, dealing with his family, like just regular the annoyances on vacation, uh, and then there's like much bigger tension. Yeah, around the uh, parenting, stuff maybe through the, the flashback. Yeah, yeah. A, a person who was regretting parenting is what I've like yeah, learned, the, learning the about this. There's a climactic thing at the end where like uh, Dakota Johnson says has said to her like, "Oh, is it going to get better?" And she's like, "No, it never gets better. It doesn't ever change." Yeah. Um, which was great. It was really interesting. So yeah, like okay, so but a lot of this movie is about parenting. A lot of what uh, uh, Ferrante does is, is about parenting and about mothers and daughters and you know daughters who then become mothers and find themselves somehow repeating the patterns that they hope to avoid their whole lives. But maybe like then that makes them understand their own parents more, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's a very interesting territory. And she, she writes about it a lot. So, I mean, 
you were saying like, um, is it like a harrowing movie about parenthood? And of course it is. And if Olivia Coleman says like, oh, I, you know, I regret, I, like I hate talking to my kids. <laughs> you know, she says at one point, that's actually as Jesse Buckley, she says, I hate talking to my kids. <laughs> I don't know. What I would say about this movie is that while a lot of the stuff in it is true, it's not like, it's not like that bad. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I, it's like, it's like if you saw a love story where something sad happened and you would be like, Oh, I guess I never want to go out with somebody. You know, it's not like you're like, well, yeah, okay. That can happen. But you know, generally it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. Like that's what I would there say about like, parenting and, and this film, you know, it is honest. And is it has a, a very good, very yeah. honest portrayal of parenthood. And it is sometimes drives you so crazy. And the, the hard part is it never stops, you know? And that's, I think mm-hmm. there's a really good scene where she's like, uh, Jesse Buckley, like falls asleep on the floor with her two, like young children around her, like yelling and like hitting at her and stuff. And it's like, yeah, sometimes it, sometimes it is like that a hundred percent, you know? How do you spell volcano? How do you spell volcano, Mom, mummy? Mom, how do you spell volcano? Mummy, how do you spell volcano, um, mummy? Yeah. And the other one's like <laughs> brushing her hair, but actually just slamming the hairbrush into her head over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it is about parenthood, but maybe uh, more specifically about motherhood in general, too. Uh, like the questions I had coming out of this movie was like, what damage is motherhood capable oh of I mean, to a infinite, woman? Like this infinite. woman is like, like is just like a, a damaged woman. And we see because of things and there is like a buildup and she does reveal like, a, a, I don't know if it's, yeah, I don't know if it's regrettable. Maybe I'll cut it because it's a spoiler, but like she says she leaves her daughters for three years. Like she right, just goes yeah. away for three years and uh, that is jarring. And uh, I don't know, a lot of the movie, like I said, she's prickly and like sometimes you pity her, but for the most part, like through the uh, direction and, a performance uh it's very empathetic uh there's this amazing olivia coleman scene that's so empathetic where uh she's uh one of the workers is named will uh i forget that actor's name good young actor anyway uh she's just recanting st- having dinner together she's recanting stories about uh being a mom it's so like olivia coleman brings such like life and like oh she loves to be yeah. a mom really she just loves to be a, a happy person so we're not like condemning her ever even though we're seeing like her being like a like I said, a prickly person. We're on her side. I, I felt like I was well, on yeah, her you side feel like the you're whole time. Side. It's very, I mean, it's very interesting, right? Because it, it's mm-hmm. a movie that portrays like walking out on your family and abandoning your children as mm-hmm. like the ultimate self-actualizing thing to do mm-hmm. because it did like legitimately help her life, you know? And she's yeah. like, yeah, I feel much better leaving my children. And we can judge her for that, but also I felt that she was just, uh, uh, I mean, they show it, that she's judging herself more harshly than any of us ever could. And that's through the great performance of Olivia Coleman, one of the best working actresses in the world. And and then uh, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal just, I think Maggie Gyllenhaal did a good structuring because that happens towards the end. And then she reveals the... uh, the the doll is actually stolen to Dakota Johnson at the end. Very interesting, and then we get, yeah. Kind of get out of that movie kind of quick right afterwards, which is just cool. Structure your movie that way. Very good. And I will say, I said I'll, I'll talk about Dakota Johnson. It's kind of like, I think she was a, a, written as a person that Lita is projecting all these thoughts on seeing a mother struggle, seeing a mother, uh, like she had a flashback to losing her daughter on the beach too. Um, and she's a, absolutely beautiful, but she's a, like kind of a nothing role that even we as an audience or projecting Lita's thoughts onto her too. Uh, and I just thought it was like, Oh, that's kind of tricky as an actor to do sometimes just to be kind of a uh, blank or kind of like a nothing to disappear and just be a person. <laughs> yeah. Right. That actually, you're right. That is super hard as an actor to just kind of exist without doing a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of like walking from here to there and, yeah. but like still being your character, you know, and not mm-hmm. being yourself. Right. Yeah. That is very difficult. Uh, I think direction does help a lot too. They do a lot of uh, close-ups in the conversation. Shout out to Olivia Coleman's cleavage. <laughs> uh, and uh, towards the end, they, and then they start doing the more of the pull away of a lot of characters are shown far away. And that's when they feel like they're all like looking at her or looking at the camera or looking at her in a judgy way. Uh, it just feels like that's where like the tension comes in. Like, Oh, they all know now or they all like hate her now. <laughs> Yeah, it's cool. and it's yeah. just like amazingly well done, and it's so subtle, and it's so kind of paranoid. And I, I, and I do think this is one of the things that you get when you have an actor, a good, a good actor directing a movie, is like ideally what they're doing is focusing more on the performances and focusing more on behavior mm-hmm. and relations between the people, and giving the actors space to work and, oh, and do it, sure. do a, do their work the best that they can do. And I definitely think you're seeing that in in this movie. There's so mm-hmm. much that's just 
so much of this movie is just behavior, you know, and you're, you're constructing the story in your own mind as, mm-hmm. as the viewer, which is really interesting and a very rewarding film experience, you know, and you're inferring all of this stuff between all the characters, but you can also see it in their faces and how they interact with each other. Um, and it makes a very like compelling viewing experience for a, for mm-hmm. a film. And as we mentioned, it's a Elena Ferrante novel, which kind of like echoes that too. Like there's bigger themes that we're being uh, touching on. Uh, like a question I had after watching this movie, especially during maybe the flashback spots, is what do we expect of women? <laughs> like what do we, uh, what do they, what do yeah. we want them to do in society? Like do we, like we're wanting them to be mothers? They want them, like there's a very telling scene where like she's, her career starting to take off. She has a, she's getting to go speak. Uh, her husband's like kind of absent the whole time, but also like, I don't know, he's there every once in a while. But then there also her boss is also just very like grumpy guy. And there's a scene where uh, she has to leave for this conference. She's just telling the babysitter what's in her fridge, like just saying all the meals oh, that was in the so fridge. cute, though. Me and Catherine yeah. were both like hu- squeezing our hands because that is exactly the kind of shit that we yeah. do. But I also like, I think about like, does the, the uh, her boss didn't have to do that? Like. Right, like right. her husband just a, didn't a do woman it. Specific you know? thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's and then like the uh, I think it was cool casting that she cast her husband Peter Sarsgaard well, as I, a sex. I, I do also really want to talk about this. Like, so yeah, there's Peter Sarsgaard comes in, and this is a, I'm sorry I keep saying this shit, but this also is in the the Neapolitan trilogy. A like sexy academic, you know, uh, the, a lot of it takes place in the world of uh, academia. So yeah, there's like a sexy uh, academic who's played by uh, Peter Sarsgaard, who's Maggie Gyllenhaal's real life husband, and I immediately was like it's so fucking cute that she had a character that had to be instantly irresistible and the sexiest, charmingest man in the universe. And she cast her own husband. That's so <laughs> sweet. That's like the fucking sweetest thing I can think of, you know? But yeah, in those flashbacks, yeah, he, he's good in this movie too. He's um, great. He's really, really yeah. good. Uh, there's like just a lot of men who drift like in and out, uh, like even a fatherhood, like her husband. And then, uh, uh, a very telling scene with travelers, I guess is what they're calling them. Oh, like yeah. these, like they, they're at a cabin and then they see like, oh, there's two people hiking. Let's invite them in. Oh, it's weird. And uh, they get along and she like, the uh, woman is a male woman traveler. Uh, and the woman traveler just really sees like how great she is. It's like, oh, she's taught her kids Italian. Uh, could sing an Ita- poem in Italian. Uh, and they get along really well. And then when she leaves, uh, she grabs her by the ear and says, are his daughters okay? <laughs> yeah. He goes, oh, he has sons, which is just like, oh, that's where the so projection thing really yeah, hit me. Like, so oh, whoa. Uh, but yeah, Jesse Buckley, I love in this movie. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I think I'm rooting that more for a supporting actress. I, I, I've heard there's some Oscar buzz for this movie, for oh Coleman. And well, for Olivia Coleman, Buckley. you got to say for sure. Dude, I rewatched The Favorite recently too. Ooh, 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 man, what what a fucking actor! And also, like I, I keep, I said she's. Uh, We've been watching um, Landscapers. Keep showing no Landscapers. Yeah, Landscapers is amazing. She's great in wow, that. I, David Thewlis too. Wow, Landscapers so good. And it's like uh, a very limited series where they want to have this idea and they really execute this like removed. Are they innocent? Guilty idea. Landscapers great show. Great show. Uh, but streaming uh, now on HBO was, Max. Check it out. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Olivia Coleman's prickly. Uh, of course, you see that in the, the favorite. But um, the mother and Fleabag is so good, and she's the uh, as the mother and Fleabag is just nails that specific of like, oh, this is a woman who is fun to watch, but I absolutely hate her. Uh, and then Peep Show. Uh, I remember hearing stories about Peep Show that she said like, oh, can we make my character character more hateful? <laughs> can we hate my character more? Like she brought that to the That's team. That's <laughs> so funny. I mean, you, I mean, she's fucking great in Look Around You, you know? like Oh, good Lord. Look around, yeah. With Peter Serafinowicz, my you. God. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there is something in the this movie, The Lost Daughter, where a lot of it is just depictions of parenthood. A lot of the movie mm-hmm. is just like people interacting with their kids. And right from the beginning of the movie, I could tell it was going to be very well done by Maggie Jolenthal, who is a parent herself. There's just something you see. It's two daughters. It's, yeah. You're watching Olivia Coleman watch Dakota Johnson in the water, like just like holding her daughter and talking to her a little bit. But there's something about the way that she's holding her and the way that she's talking to her. It just seems so real. Like it doesn't seem like something you're watching in a movie. It's just like her legs are sticking off at kind of a weird angle. And like the way she kind of has to keep turning her head to her and like, but doesn't kind of seems like she doesn't really want to, but but also does want to. 
it's very, mm-hmm. very real to parenting. And there's just like a, a ton more stuff like that in this movie, like amazing scenes of the reality mm-hmm. of parenting. But at the same time, like, you know, I mean, so yeah, like you're saying, it makes parenthood seem like really harrowing, but like, you know, it's only part of the story. Like, is it yeah. true? Yes. But is it the she entire does... story? No, not at all. She does still love parenting. Right. I mean, that is the big part of the movie too. Even despite everything you're seeing, she's like, I love my daughters, you know, I just love them. I wanted to see them. It, it, it can't help but define her as, as her, as her children. Yeah. Um, it ends with her. Uh, it ends kind of like not ending. Well, I mean, you know? Do you want to talk like about this? I mean, like, but it ends with her on a phone call. with well, her I, daughter, I which assumed is... that she was dead. Yeah. We both thought she was dead. Oh yeah. Do you think she... uh, it was a, it was a hat pin that stabbed her. So she gets stabbed well, by she a hat. Gets stabbed by heaven. <laughs> and then she also like drives off a cliff basically. And then collapses on the beach. And then all of a sudden she has an orange, which she shouldn't have. And also she's having a long, loving phone call with her daughter, who the last time we saw her call her daughter, the daughter like hung up on her, basically. I'm on holiday. Yeah. I'm actually, right now I'm looking at a beautiful brain. And then in this, she's like just chatting and chatting and chatting and laughing their heads off. And also she's like perfectly peeling an orange, which is like a thing from earlier in the movie. Like, like perfect peel is such a big thing. Did you not think she was dead? (laughs) Uh, Maybe I didn't want her to be dead. Cause I, I I honestly like my, my, I thought I did, it did cross my mind, but, but my thought was like a hat pin couldn't kill her. (laughs) It was, yeah. But then it does seem like she like drives. Maybe she had a car accident afterwards. Yeah. And that's how they opened the movie too, which is uh, Hey, circular that shit, man. It's good stuff. Caleb. Shoot that shit, Meg. Um, Meg. Do you want to talk briefly about our next movie? Cool, cool, cool. Let's do it. Okay, this is 1955's <laughs> The Night of the Hunter. I can hear you whispering, children, so I know you're down there. I can feel myself getting awful mad. Here is all the passion and suspense, the heart-pounding warmth of the best-selling novel that gripped millions. Oh, wake up! Come on! Oh. Regarded as one of the finest actors of his generation, Charles Lawton made his sole film as a director with 1955's The Night of the Hunter, which is based on a 1953 novel of the same name, which in turn is based on true events. The plot thusly concerns Reverend Harry Powell, murderer of widows who happens to share a cell with a death row inmate who has hid $10,000. When Powell is released and tracks down uh, that family, he has to contend with the two children who promised their dad that they would never, ever reveal where the money is hidden. Also, he's a self-appointed minister who says his murders are God's work. The depiction of misogynistic swindler by the legend Robert Mitchum is aided by Lawton's direction. Off-kilter shadows, stylized dialogue, off-center camera angles. Lawton creates a, quote, nightmarish mother goose, unquote, mood for Reverend Terry Powell to be monstrous and then for these two children to live in their actualized nightmares it's all good versus evil and how close that can come and how tricky the actual battle can be uh, initially the film flopped and yeah. lawton took that personally and never directed another movie uh, so to- crazy today however it is constantly mentioned as one of the great films and entered the National Film Registry in 1992, as well as being directly referenced in Coen Brothers films, Do the Right Things, and many more. Uh, To quote Raj Ebert, it is one of the most frightening of movies with one of the most unforgettable of villains, and on both of those scores, it holds up well after four decades. Chris, baby, baby, baby. Baby, 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 baby. And it's been several decades since Roger Ebert wrote those words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was in the 90s. He wrote yeah, that, yeah, so yeah, it continues to hold up below these almost 30 years later. Um, yeah, dude, Night of the Hunter. It's one of those movies you hear about a lot, especially in, I feel like, when we were younger in the 2000s. It was constantly people were talking about Night of the Hunter. It's it, supposedly the legend of this movie, right? Is Charles Lawton, who hadn't directed any movies, but apparently did, did direct plays. He got this, the book from his, his sort of production partner. They really liked it. They developed it in this movie and he really wanted to maybe bring the magic of silent films to the talkies. Mm-hmm. And so he demanded to make the movie in black and white, even though it's 1955, like no movies were really in black and white anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was, everybody's yeah. pissed off that he wanted to make it in black and white. And not just did he make it in black and white, he made it in this like special high contrast film, black and white. And then also he watched all these like, he supposedly like went to the film archive and watched all these nitrates of silent films to get like inspiration for making the movie. And it's, you can definitely see it. I mean, the sets are completely bonkers. 
Like he's, you know, uh, if, if two characters are in a bedroom, you're seeing kind of like a stage play version of a bedroom set with like a gigantic cathedral pitched roof and these like crazy windows that the light is coming in, making like a perfect cross on the wall. And there is a scene where it's like, so this is all the scene I'm describing is when this Charles, uh, when, uh, Robert Mitchum murders Shelley Winters and like Shelley Winters is laying on the bed in this perfect kind of like angelic slash coffin light. Mm -hmm. And Robert Mitchum like walks over to the window and is standing in this crazy way with like his fist up in the air and the light hitting his face. And you're the movie is complete. Everything is, is like that. I mean, not everything. There are some like kind of lameish 1955 parts, but a lot of the movie is like that. It's just a lot of just building surreal imagery. Like you mentioned, like these the sets he built, he did it all on a soundstage. Uh, and there's a river scene. He built that on the soundstage too. Uh, it's just oddly surreal. And uh, it's more expressionistic. Where a lot of the times where uh, it was the 50s, uh, more, I think Hollywood was booming. This is the golden age. Uh, Cowboy movies more, and musicals, yeah. but like not like the good famous musicals, like musicals that like aren't very good. Yeah, they're, they're looking for more... Uh, if you're going over the top, be like kid friendly or like you were trying to be more like a realistic things. And he was just being like, oh, we want to be uh, more uh, German avant garde with right, this. Right, uh, right. And and it's, it's it's kind of beautiful. Like uh, 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 it's mentioned as a horror movie a lot, which I could 100% see as. But also it's like just a beautiful movie uh, as a horror movie, too. It's it's, uh, it's genre list, too, which is I, I love movies that are genre list. It's hardly reality and that artificial look it has it like helps build the actual time well, it's like expressionistic it like you're saying it's very like yeah. a, you know it's very artistic expressionist i mean right it's influenced by german expressionism i mean there are things there are there are exteriors that are like where you're seeing two buildings next to each other where they're like silhouetted by fog and like searchlights or something oh, yeah. and they just look i mean it's like tim burtony or something it's very very artistic looking and it's and uh, and it's fantastic it's a really a lot of fun to watch there's a really famous sequence where um the kid is seeing robert mitchum's silhouette in the distance and there's this like one perfect little curly tree and a little fence and robert mitchum rides by and supposedly this is an effect a practical effect they did with a uh, little person and a miniature horse and like you know not as far away as it looks you know but it's 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 amazing and it looks so crazy it's like a cartoon you know doesn't he ever sleep is what he says when he walks by uh yeah it, it's awesome just in the imagery stuff uh he does a uh, uh such specific lighting like usually like you light your evil dark and you uh have your good people beautiful and he does do that but then he reverses it every once in a while like there's a, a, a insane shot with mrs cooper uh with a shotgun but she's all in black and then you just see uh the reverend in the background uh sitting on a stump with be- with a soul light on him too and uh, and they're doing a duet of um what what is the song they always sing bringing, oh, yeah, bringing in the shoes bringing in the she- which is just becomes almost like the uh the big bad wolf song of like i'll huff and puff and blow you down like this is his calling card of just like you hear that and it's like oh he's back he's scary and he does so many murders he's so bad oh my god and the shot of the mom under the water like drowned wow, so good. with her hair flowing I'm, in the water like honestly one of the best shots so yeah that that hair flowing looks like a beautiful painting it starts off with the uh like the seaweed going and then you see her hair going flowing upwards too uh and, and and she's dead in there. And then a fish hook just drops down. Oh and it's like, God, Woo! it's amazing. And you're like, this is a movie from the fifties. Like, this is so fucking grim. So, so fucking good. Yeah. He built that on uh, another fucking beautiful thing. He built. Yeah. Uh, uh, reading about this movie for this podcast. Uh, the first unit directing was a lot of the soundstage stuff. Like the, uh, that scene we just said, uh, a lot of like, you know, the interior stuff, but the whole second unit was only for, uh, the river scenes. Uh, which is uh, the escape scene of like when the kids actually flee, they get away from this big evil, which is a cool scene. Uh, first of all, it's Robert Richard coming going children. Uh, and then like, he's kind of, he's, uh, he's scary, but he's also like kind of buffoonish too, which I, I, I love because like, yeah, take, take power away from evil. I mean, these children are fucking freaked out. They're like seven and five years old. 
course they'd be fucking freak out. This guy's going to murder them for money. (laughs) And he's so like, there's something so just because he's a preacher, you know, he gives this famous uh, monologue in this movie about love and hate. Um, Love and hate. That's the, that's the, let me tell uh, you the right thing reference. Let me tell you the story of life. Old brother hate the hand that old Cain used to slay his brother. Yeah. Uh, totally, totally fools. He's a preacher. Has this great exactly. story. Totally fools, Mister and Mrs. Spoon. He fools everybody, Caleb. And it's so yeah. disgusting to watch. If Shelley Winters especially come under his spell oh, yeah, and have she this did. like try so hard to be the kind of person that he wants her to be, and in this kind of insane, self abnegating yeah. way, you know, like. And the yeah, I don't know, dude. Religion—it's a hell of a drug, man. Like, it, you, yeah, it's scary that how how he gets her. Like, there's a great Shelley Winters scene after she's hooked, after he talks her out of having sex on their like, wedding we night. Do, on their wedding night, and then she just goes. You want me to paw at you in that awful yeah. way men are supposed to? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to talk about that river stuff again, which is just so like they, they said they've got the second unit just so they could have more from the kids' perspective of just them, uh, and it is like they're like flowing by all these animals every once in a while. Uh, there's a lot of like biblical references to not him just being a preacher, preacher, but they reference like Moses several times, but even like the uh, frog plague, and, like other animals of the plagues mm, are in there. Yeah. And then uh, there's a scene where, I, I don't know, this doesn't mean anything, but I just liked it, where they park their boat and a woman's handing out food and they just get a, each get a potato. <laughs> so weird. Great. I mean, it was the depression, it's, I guess. It's supposed to be the depression. Yeah, it's true. Just That's a good gift, Caleb. Potato. Are you kidding me? A whole potato <laughs> each? Oh, and they're only kids? Oh, man. You know. Um, it's cool to read uh, this movie was banned in places. That's always cool because, like, watching it was like, yeah, why? And then, like, oh, because they said uh, made a preacher look yeah, bad right. is what I read about it. But it's cool that it was banned. I mean, it's pretty uh, fucking raw. Cheyenne it's pretty fucking raw. This. Yeah, too artistic. Too, uh, people interpret art, people are going to interpret the wrong way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, also it has several brutal murders in it, you know? like That's true, it does have murders. <laughs> but it also ends like very angelically. Oh, the ending uh, is so weird. Movie, the ending yeah. is so weird. It becomes a Christmas movie. <laughs> like, yeah, yes. yeah, Night of the Hunter is a Christmas movie. <laughs> and a bunch of weird, like, shit that it might, it's, it might as well be like a fucking Mickey Rooney movie. <laughs> like, it's, it yeah. turns very weird for the last 10 minutes. They don't even, like, they do resolve the story, but also, like, they kind of don't. <laughs> like, I guess those kids are living with uh, Mrs. Hooper now. It's like the town um, is going to lynch Robert Mitchum, and so they speed him away in a car, and that's the last we see of him. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, uh, th- I don't know, just uh, in a more esoteric level, which this movie's trying to go for that, um, uh, the themes of you know good versus evil, love and hate, uh, and then we see this town just turning towards hate so easily. Uh, and I thought that was because uh, Mrs. Hooper and the children leave and let's go back their thing. And not not participating in this mob, I was like, "Oh, that's that's what hate is. That's uh, 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 what it's easy to hate." I mean, that's like, true. I took that's that true, as. brother. It, it's but also like him putting in that movie, just like, "Wow, he didn't he need to do. He didn't need to go that hard. He didn't need to go." I think that is what you could say a hundred percent about this movie. <laughs> yeah. He did not need to go that hard. <laughs> and like people were constantly saying, "Like Charles Lawton, please don't go so hard," and he was like yeah. determined to go as hard as possible. Uh, speaking of the ending, uh, she, uh, Rachel Hooper, uh, uh, Lillian Gish, silent film star. Amazing. Um, says, amazing. Yeah, the original it good. girl, Lillian mm-hmm. Gish. For, for real, for real. I, I recognize the name and then I, I, I clicked on her credits like, oh, wow, of course. Um, but she, her landing line is, uh, they abide, they, and they endure. She looks at the camera and says this. She says, down the barrel, uh, talking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Says about these children. Um, uh, the Coen brothers have said that. <laughs> Uh, the dude abides is based off of his line. The dude abides. That's so silly. (laughs) The children, they abide and they endure. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's a a great movie with so many great things. Yeah. And uh, we're just biting off like a, a, a a small little snack of it. Cause uh, it's, it's a movie you should just really go uh, and taken for yourself. It's one of the all time. Um, it's yeah. one of the all time classic films. Mm-hmm. Yes, hundred percent. I mean, it's mm-hmm. on all these and like AFI of, best of you know hundred best. Oh, films for sure. List. Yeah, it's like on a horror list, villain list. Yeah, so many. Yeah. Uh, uh, and speaking to our theme of uh, 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 actors directing uh, and saying that oh that they work well with other actors, hundred uh, percent true here. Uh, 
he would only uh, Charles Lawton would only slate at the beginning of reels and just let the reel expire, which is insane. It's so like, cool! I'm, it's so cool. That's insane. That's like wasting film to an extent too. But it's like because he also, didn't want to. Dealing... He didn't want to lose the moment. He didn't want to have to waste. He didn't want to reset. Yeah, yeah exactly. don't reset. Let's keep going. Let's just keep you rolling. Got, let's keep I'll rolling. Yeah. Here's your notes. Let's go. Um, and dealing with kids too. Oh, dealing like uh, I did read that he hated dealing with kids because uh, it's children, cops, and dogs are the three things directors hate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's her name uh shelly winters said it's the her best uh she said that was her best because of of that and uh robert mitchum who uh i think this is more his later period yeah uh, i think so uh and if you look at him like he was doing a lot of more weirder like money grabbing roles uh nope he was uh, uh, uh nothing like his real life in this nothing like his uh, he's su- super special in this movie uh give him all the flowers from this movie it's insane how fun and scary and yeah uh, oh my god influential it really is uh i mean his uh reverend harry powell yeah i mean it's you know you can see a lot of other characters in in and relationships in in this performance by robert mitchum i mean it's always reminded me of robert de niro and cape fear i know robert mitchum also yeah. stars in the original cape fear yeah. <laughs> but there's something about his character in night of the hunter that also reminds me of robert de niro and cape fear you know yeah there's a little bit of that like funniness to it which yeah and they're kind cool, of doing right? a similar accent you know um, oh, yeah, yeah. but, uh, I don't know, Caleb, do you want to, do you want to like, like, let's say you had to pick one of these two movies, man, <laughs> you'd pick one of these two Ooh. movies where you were going to have to direct a movie and not appear in it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But my face so beautiful. Um, I do like the lost daughter a lot. Uh, I, I, I think it's a very special movie. I I'm rooting for it, uh, at Oscars. He's got to root for stuff. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I'm picking the Night of the Hunter. It just uh, is not going to leave my mind anytime soon. Um, and even if it's like a thing where like I even thought about buying like the Criterion thing because on the Criterion I was looking at the special features. There's a two hour documentary about the whole making of it. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, but there's just so much I I want to learn more about and more. Just I, I could watch it just for a couple scenes and then. Uh, even just well, like for sure. that is one of the yeah, I, I yeah even one that. of the great child acting performances ever I've I've, I've ever seen. Oh well, I like the uh, boy, the girl. I find really annoying. Yeah, the boy. Oh the girl yeah, is like they had super overdub her singing. Yeah, uh, the young man name is Billy Chapin. Uh, probably in some other stuff that I don't I've seen or not seen. But yeah, uh, picking Night of the Hunter. I mean, that's of course choice. I of course that is makes sense, and I have myself been torn about this because, I've, like we we're saying, Night of the Hunter is one of the all-time best films ever made, and extremely has been extremely influential for at this point seventy years, you know, almost. Uh, so that's that's pretty crazy. Um, and but I would say like, and so if you haven't seen it, of course you should see Night of the Hunter. Of course, at some point you need to see Night of the Hunter. But if you're just like a regular modern person who doesn't necessarily watch old movies very often, I would recommend uh, The Lost Daughter mm-hmm. because it's like pretty easy to access. The people in it are all like really famous and they're fun to watch on screen. But it's a, a very emotionally complicated story that is rings very true, especially if you're someone that has children. And I, I think it's as far as like a movie I would recommend to just like a regular person to go see, definitely I would say go see The Lost Daughter. Great film, 100%, recommend it, A+. plus. Not your typical Hollywood garb that's coming out these days, but with uh, people you'll recognize and uh, uh, exciting young director now. Uh, yeah, it's a, a movie that definitely needs to be uh, viewed as it's on Netflix uh, at the same time where we're giving a bunch of discourse to a B, at best B-minus movie in... Uh, don't look, don't look up, up but there's yeah. an actual a material they have yeah. with the lost daughter that we could actually be talking yeah, like about an amazing really amazing <laughs> film right that nobody's fucking talking about really i mean you see people talk about it sometimes just to say like olivia coleman is the best actress of all time you know kind of stuff <laughs> and it is it's true i really hope she gets nominated for an oscar i i bet she'll get nominated for an oscar but maggie won't get nominated for best director but then again maybe it'll get yeah. a lot of nominations i don't know it might you know I have, uh, it's, I am loath to predict, uh, Oscars anymore. Yeah, who it's, knows, right? It's, it's beneath me, <laughs> uh, but you find things, <laughs> but you find things to root for. And I am, um, I will, I will, I will root for, uh, Lost Daughter. I root for Power of the Dog. Yeah, sure. Uh, I saw Tragic Macbeth a lot. I'm going to root for that. No one's going to vote for that. That's, I mean, uh, that's just a weird movie. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Do you think Denzel get a nomination for that? 
I hope he does. Uh, it is so Shakespeare that it's going to just be so off-putting to people. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I am rooting for Andrew Garfield and Tick, Tick, Boom. I yeah, like that is true. That seems... It's, it's actually <laughs> been a pretty good year for movies, Caleb. Yeah, uh, I'd even see uh, House of Gucci. House of Gucci, yeah. <laughs> Pass the Gucci. Um, yeah, pass the Gucci on the left hand. All right, dude, this is it. We did yes. it. We did the whole episode. Like, thank you so much. So great to talk to you. Yeah, Happy New episode. Year. Merry Christmas. Bye, 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 bye. Merry Christmas New Year. Outside of Hollywood, it's a different matter. Sidney Poitier's professional work is too often forgotten. The questions are too sharply focused. He is simply black. Mr. Poitier is not one to let this go unchallenged. I am artist, man, American, contemporary. I am an awful lot of things, so I wish you would uh, pay me the respect due and not simply ask me about those things.